As an Alliant Energy representative, I really enjoy helping businesses save. Today, I visited a business that asked for a free energy audit. After walking through their facility, I let the customers know how much money and energy they could be saving. Plus, I gave them an action plan detailing how to improve their energy efficiency. I showed them how they could save even more with rebates from Alliant Energy on equipment upgrades. If you are interested in saving energy and money, schedule a free energy audit at AlliantEnergy.com slash energy audit. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at one of 25 $1,000 savings plan deposits for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Look for the Save Now, Save Later giveaway under the scholarships page. Log on and register today. That's iowastudentloan.org. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Mile high hello everybody and welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I am your host, Lance Sanderson, and joining me as per usual is my good friend and colleague. He is... Mile High Huddle senior NFL draft analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. Eric, dude, been a couple weeks since I've got to talk to you, but guys, she said I do. Okay. So, like, it's actually official. I, I got married this last weekend and it was an absolutely amazing time. I, I miss talking to everybody. I, I definitely did that. But uh, at the same time, to have all our family there, to have everybody uh, there and to celebrate with us was just so much fun. We missed you, Eric, and unfortunately you couldn't come. But we might be able to link up here soon is from the sound of it. Eric, dude, how you doing, man? Doing pretty good. I mean, I'm exhausted. It's been a long week. You missed a good show with Luke last week. Um, but, I, I mean, it's never a good thing when you wake up on a Wednesday morning to your wife saying that your car won't start and then it being your <laughs> alternator. Like, dealing with that along with some other stuff, it's been pretty stressful. I mean, I've got a bunch of other stuff that I'm trying to sit here and, you know, save money to be able to do a couple trips have a trip to Boulder next year, next May. Um, possibly trying to get down to Denver for the the, the meet and greet week three. Um, a, a few other things like it, it's tough, it's exhausting, it's stressful, but I'm good. It's a uh, got an hour to talk some Broncos football, so uh, that's exciting at the very least. Yeah, I mean, it's always nice to get out of the uh, the groove of like normal reality and everything like that. To to be able to sit down, talk some Broncos is what we do here on the uh, the Huddle Up Podcast Network in general, but here on Dove Valley Deep Divers as well. It's great to kind of break free. You know, this this last about two weeks has been so stressful, and as soon as Saturday afternoon hit, when everyone was there, and I was up looking at Samantha, who was absolutely gorgeous. Um, our our kids look super sharp everyone being there and just to celebrate that was so much fun. And then the stress didn't actually relieve here until just a couple of, uh, about a day or two ago uh, with extra family staying and stuff like that, trying to do all that. So I really haven't gotten a chance to sit down and buckle down on the Broncos, but to come back here uh, to sit down with you, to have fun with everybody here in, in the mile high huddle community, have some fun, talk some Broncos football, break down a little bit of the AFC West for you guys, which is what we're going to do today. Break down how the Broncos stack up against the rest of the AFC West. But before we get into that guys a couple of quick matters of business here uh want to uh say first things first uh guys follow us on twitter by finding me at sanderson mhh and for eric trickle and also for scott 
who's running the ones and twos behind the scenes here at scout Kennedy. Also guys uh, at mile high huddle, that's where you're going to find breaking news and analysis regarding your Denver Broncos uh, film breakdowns. I've got a bunch of those coming in here over the next few weeks. I'm going to try to break down at least the, the draft class. I might get into some of the undrafted free agents. Uh, my next one's going to be uh, on Enioma Lazarike, who hopefully I'll get that done here in the next couple of days, but make sure you guys follow at mile high huddle to check all that stuff out. All of Eric's content, Nick, uh, Nick Carl, um, Luke, Chad, Zach, the whole gang, you're going to find that there. Um, Facebook supporters, make sure you guys go to facebook.com forward slash mile high huddle pod. That's the podcast account on Facebook. Then you guys can get connected with a lot of our other community members over there if you're on Facebook as well. So with that, guys, um, I also want to say hello to everybody joining us tonight. We've got, uh, let's see. 38 eyes on us. So we're just still kind of getting some people filtering into the room, but there's a lot of people that want to say like William Catalano, congratulations, Lance. And thank you for that. Uh, Roy Osborne saying hello. Congrats, Lance. Many more years to come. Um, Lawrence Rivera asking, how does the ring feel? It took some time getting used to for me. Um, I'm scared. It's going to wash off. I'll, like, like, like take a shower and whatnot. I, I'm scared. It's going to wash off of my hand. Cause I had a, uh, one of those silicone rings, and I was in the shower one time and it actually washed off and, and fell down the drain. So I'm like clutching my hand every time I'm doing something to make sure it doesn't go away. It's not really awkward. It feels comfortable. But at the same time, it is definitely very weird here. But uh, Eric, yeah. it, it was something I couldn't get used to. Eventually, I lost my wedding ring and oh. now I, just don't, I just don't wear one. I, I couldn't get used to it in the first place. I hardly ever wore it. Um, very rarely do I wear a wedding ring. Uh, my wife bought me another one um, as a Christmas gift. but. Uh, yeah, it's takes some getting used to, especially when you don't. I, I'm really weird when it comes to my hands. I can't like things like the feeling of things between my fingers drives me nuts. So I just couldn't get over that feeling with the with the wedding ring. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And like doing what I do professionally and in, in, in my other time and stuff like that, like I carry a lot of heavy things. So it digs into my hand, it, like it, not to get sidetracked on wedding rings, but still <laughs> at the same time, like it, it is it is a it is a new sensation. It's a new feeling um, as far as like how I'm feeling with the with the marriage and whatnot. I feel the same. Like I, I was telling everybody before we went, uh, like, are you getting nervous? Are you getting excited? Are like, are you stressed out? Yeah, I'm stressed. Obviously, this was uh, like your wedding day. But uh I was, wasn't nervous. I wasn't excited. I like, that wasn't a thing that was going through my mind. It was confidence. I was confident, like the most confident I've ever met, been in my life that I've made the best decision I've ever made. And that's what was going through my body. It was like, I'm just, I'm so ready for this to be official because I know that I want to spend the rest of my life with Samantha Sanderson. So that's, that's where I kind of came out of it. Yeah. And going on real quick, I want to grab this comment from Malachi Martin. Um, he says, according to Bucky Brooks, now the Denver defense architect is the hottest trend in NFL. Then why doesn't Vic have a job? The answer to this is actually really simple. He got a very nice severance package from the Denver Broncos. He doesn't need a job this year. He'll be one of the hottest names in January. And there is a actual former NFL scout on Twitter that I follow. And he was talking about this conversation. He was having this conversation earlier. And he's like, has there, and his question was, has there ever been an NFL coach who has been more impactful on the game during his time than Vic Fangio? And he was talking about how the only one he can come up with is Bill Walsh. But by the time his offense really took over, it had really changed and it had been a while. Vic mm -hmm. Fangio, I mean, his, his defense has modernized, has modernized the NFL while he's still doing it. But yeah, I mean, he doesn't have a job because he's just got a nice severance package. He doesn't need one right now. And a lot of coaches take a take some time off after they get fired. They typically take that year and they go and get a new job, uh, get their job next year. And 
yeah, he'll be a very hot commodity commodity as a defensive coordinator next yeah, year. Yeah, abso- absolutely. And what's what Eric is regarding to as far as the severance package was Vic Fangio had a four-year contract. He was fired after year three. Coaches' contracts are guaranteed. The, the Broncos have to pay his salary for this entire season on top of what they have to pay Nathaniel Hackett. So that's what Eric is talking about. Like, Obviously, you get fired, you're going to take $5 million or whatever the hell it was that Vic Fangio got. So that's that's exactly what Eric is talking about. Let him take a year off. Let him you know, catch his breath, enjoy the money he's got, enjoy some time with his family. And as Eric said, he will be a very hot commodity. We got a super sticker here from uh, Michael Ronquillo, $3 super sticker. Can't see it right yet. Maybe Scott can get that pulled up on the back end here in a minute. We'll revisit that here in just a couple of seconds. But guys... Without any further ado, let's take a look, Eric, at this uh, this Denver Broncos roster and how it stacks up in the AFC West. And obviously, you've got to take a look to start off with the quarterback position. We all know Russell Wilson's in town now. Uh, Derek Carr in Las Vegas, obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. And then you've got Justin Herbert, who seems to be the media darling coming into this season. Where does the where do the Broncos stack up with Russell Wilson? I mean, obviously this last year you have the the finger injury where he had mallet finger and had surgery and came back, played at a fairly decent level, but not quite the Russell Wilson we're used to seeing. How does Russell Wilson stack up coming into this season against the the quality competition in the AFC West? So this is tough. I mean, obviously you have Patrick Mahomes, he's the top guy in the division at the quarterback position. Um the second guy, though, I mean, you could you could realistically argue that Russell Wilson's the second guy. He's far more proven than Justin Herbert is at this time. But, I mean, Justin Herbert is so fantastic. It's just, I, I mean, he, he's tremendous. Watching that game, watching multiple games there, he just put the Chargers on his back and really tried to carry them, especially with how much, how many issues that defense had. It came down to a lackluster run defense, really, and there's a big reason why they targeted run defenders this offseason. Um, so I actually think that Russell Wilson's third in the division behind Mahomes and then Herbert. And then there's a not a si- huge gap, but a pretty decent sized gap there between Wilson and Carr. I don't disagree with you on that one because what Herbert was able to do, and granted, he had Keenan Allen and he had Mike Williams, who's a great contested catch receiver, but they don't really have a guy that could take the top off of the defense. And their tight end game is not necessarily the greatest either. So that, like he had to work with um, limited weaponry, uh, like surrounding him. The offensive line wasn't great either, and that defense, like you said, was just absolutely atrocious. I mean, they they went out and made a a very concerted effort to go. They got Sebastian Joseph Day, which is a guy that I really know that you liked a lot coming from the Los Angeles Rams. They went and got Otito Abania from UCLA in the draft this year. Hopefully, Jerry Tillery takes another step forward in his in his development. Uh, they also went and got Khalil Mack, who's been a very good run defender coming off of the edge in the last couple of seasons. And and Gary, thank you for jumping in here. I want to just give a shout out to Gary for showing some love here, but like there's, there's so much to like about this chargers team. And Herbert is definitely one of those pieces where he stepped in as a rookie and had the most elite rookie season we've seen in the history of the NFL. I mean, he took over from what week two, I believe it was when he took over for Tyrod Taylor and that uh, collapsed lung that he had. And just immediately had that impact. And everyone questioned, you know, getting rid of uh, Shane Steichen going to um, uh, – I can't remember the offensive coordinator they have now. Uh, but to that offensive system scheme, the, the scheme change and whatnot, to uh, to what they're doing. They're, they took away a lot of shot plays. But Herbert progressed so well from year one to year two. It's only – it's it's only logical to see him progress from year two to year three and become that top seven level quarterback. Like it's 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 only logical to see that. 
Yeah, and I mean, talking about that defense real quick, and this can I kind of address this. Um, Joe Collier about the three four defense back to the league. It did, um, but I mean, that's a Brandon Saley. He's a disciple of Vic Fangio. He runs that two high safety system, and that is how you know Vic Fangio has really modernized the NFL with, with the the way they use their safeties. And they've got the talent in the secondary now to really excel at doing what they want to do. Um, hopefully, Nasser Adderley takes that next step forward. JT yeah. Woods, they got another guy who can sit there and fill there. They went and got added help with JC Jackson at, at, in their secondary. That could allow them to put Asante Samuel more so in the nickel, which is where he's better at. They brought in Bryce Callahan as well. That was another big signing that they got brought in. Sebastian Joseph Day talking about the run defense up front. That was a huge signing for them. Like, they really addressed the defense of it, and that's what was needed because the offense, I mean, the offense had their issues, especially on the offensive line, but Justin Herbert did such a good job overcoming some of those issues. Part of my issue, and you kind of hinted, talked about this, is they went on, they got had Anthony Lynn, they moved on from him, um, and then they, and at offensive coordinator, they also had a, um, they have currently have Joe Lombardi. Yep. And the issue is, is Joe Lombardi's offense isn't the most natural fit for what Justin Herbert wants to do. Right. Um, so hopefully we're seeing more advancement there. It's a little bit understandable why things were a little bit rough last year because, I mean, it was that first year there. Um, but, I mean, he's such a talented kid. He's very bright, and he can make all the throws that you need for it. They've got plenty of weapons for him. They went and added additional weapons throughout the offseason. They went and made some key additions on their offensive line, drafting Zion Johnson, who is yep. – many people's top interior offensive linemen in the NFL draft. They got a guy I really like to compete in there in the interior offensive line of Jamari Salyer. Uh, mm-hmm. They have options there. At, I mean, Rashawn Slater was a um, really good left tackle. Uh, they're hoping he takes a step forward. Storm Norton, right tackle seems to be the only real piece that is a um, question mark now. And there's options that they can do about that. And then talking about the weapons, they got brought in Isaiah Spiller. They brought in Gerald Everett, the tight end out of uh, tight end from Seattle that played last year with Russell Wilson. They brought in some other guys. They made multiple additions that are really going to help out the offensive weapons. And they're just a team that right now, I mean, it's not hard to look at the roster on paper and say that's the second best te- best team in the division. But I mean, kind of like the Broncos, there's still a lot of questions for me anyways, about Brandon Staley, there was a lot of issues with clock management last year. There was yep. a lot of issues with when they went for it and when they didn't, things like that, that got to be fixed, um, got to be corrected. So that, that might be something we can see them take this next step forward this year. Yeah. The one thing that I'm looking over their roster right now, I, I just, I, I'm still trying like struggling to find that guy that can take the top off of the defense. I mean, um, they, they, they have Jalen Guyton, who's like a four, three, nine guy, but that's not his game. Like he's not a guy that can really stretch the field vertically. Like, yeah, he runs fast, but that like, is that really the guy that you want to have doing that? They've got a lot of big body receivers, possession receiver types. Um, Mike Williams is a great contested catch guy. I mentioned that a little bit before, but uh, Keenan Allen is the, like the prototypical possession wide receiver, six two two eleven. 11 been in the league for 10 years and everybody knows his name and he's a great receiver. Don't get me wrong, but unless you're trying to stretch the field vertically, which is what Justin Herbert wants to do. And Joe Lamarty doesn't really fit that. Like you said, it doesn't make sense. They need to have that guy that can really do that for them. Um, and also, I have a question for you because when they drafted Zion Johnson, I, I do believe that I have the right one here. I might be thinking somebody else, but uh, it might be Kenyon Green. Um, but Zion Johnson, when they drafted him, didn't the, didn't they uh, announce him as a tackle and not a guard? Or do I have that incorrect? Here? You're you're muted, by the way. I believe they announced him as a tackle, but no, he's a guard for them. I 
believe there was comments from Brandon Staley saying, like, just after the draft, that he's plugging in at right guard, basically. Okay. Um, um, there was speculation after he was drafted that he would play left guard and then moving Matt um, Filer to right tackle, which he can do. But that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be Storm Norton there at right tackle for him. Right, and Storm really struggled this last year. We got uh, Lawrence jumping in here with some massive stars over on Facebook. And, guys, by the way, uh, this was kind of brought up to us, to me anyways, here just a, a few minutes ago. Uh, 200,000 stars over the next couple of months. You're going to get a shot at a red carpet style, mile high huddle meet and greet week three versus uh, it's the Denver game uh, against San Francisco. So make sure you guys get your stars donation in. And uh, from the sound of it, what it's going to be is uh, the top stars uh, donator, the stop, the top uh, super chat superstar. I'm um, going to get some VIP treatment there. Uh, you guys got to get yourself to the game, get yourself a, a ticket into the game, uh, get yourself to Denver. But when you show up there, we're going to take care of you. We're going to have a lot of fun, um, have, have some drinks, have some food, and you guys are going to have an absolute blast. So Lawrence jumping in here, trying to make his best shot at getting one of those VIP treatments here and he says so for manning's run what was the average time he had for getting the ball out i feel like that was a big factor to our super bowl run what can russell wilson do if uh, nathaniel hackett's plays have him holding the ball too long that's literally the only thing i see i see about the naysayers might as well nip it in the bud before it starts so eric what he's trying to get at here is just the uh um the time to throw. What are you expecting out of Nathaniel Hackett in this offense? And how can Russell Wilson, who does a really good job of extending the play and pushing the ball vertically, is this going to be something where we're going to see him holding the ball longer, trying to get these longer deep routes going? Or is it going to be kind of a quicker timing-based attack? Um, I mean, it just varies. I think that will be a little bit longer than what we had Peyton Manning for. Peyton Manning's time during that year was just under 2.3 seconds. Um for his average time to throw, but there's other factors in there. I mean, Peyton Manning wasn't exactly the most mobile, and so Russell Wilson can use his mobility a little bit more to help buy some extra time for him to keep looking downfield. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's going to be plenty of quick passes, getting the ball out on the perimeter and letting your receivers do work, letting your receivers go make the play that they need to make. And there's going to be those times that they're going to take those deep shots. I would expect that Russell Wilson's average time to throw has been about what his career average has been, which is about that 2.5 to 2.7 second range right there. Which makes a lot of sense because that's what Russell Wilson really likes to do. Yeah, he wants to get the ball out quick. He likes to get it to the outside, and you're ex ex explaining that 100% correctly. But you also see those plays where he does extend stuff. And I think what we're going to see here with the Broncos offense is he's going to have the offensive line that doesn't give up the quick pressure where he's going to have to scramble around and do just crazy things behind the line of scrimmage, which is where he does throw those the, like the majority of those deep shots. Like when he when he extends the play, you get Tyler Lockett running down the field and eventually someone's going to lose him because you can't cover for more than about five seconds in the NFL. Someone's going to get open. Now, with this with this offensive line, and there's still a lot of question marks. So let's let's be serious here, but it's a lot better than what he's ever had in Seattle. So this is going to be a very fun way to kind of break down what's going on with this Broncos offense. Once we get into training camp, get some more reporting. I'd like to go to training camp sometime this year. So make sure you follow me on uh, on Twitter at Sanderson MHH to see if I can actually get it done. But we'll have a, a, a further discussion about this down the line a little bit. Uh, Andrew Baker jumping in here. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at one of 25 $1,000 savings plan deposits for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. 
Look for the Save Now, Save Later giveaway under the scholarships page. Log on and register today. That's iowastudentloan.org. What's up, Valley Boys? Our own line isn't great, speaking of, uh, but probably the best line Russell Wilson has had. So could this be Will, uh, Russell Wilson's best year outside of hoisting the Lombardi Trophy? Hashtag MHH for life. And Andrew, thank you, dude. We appreciate you for that. I really do think so. I'm going to take this away, just like, like I was just saying, because he has the ability to sit in the pocket just a little bit, kind of survey the field and pick and choose where he's going to go. Yes, we're going to see a lot of timing stuff, but he's not going to be running around scrambling like a chicken with his head cut off trying to make plays. He's going to actually have some time to throw the ball. Eric, what do you think on that? I mean, Russell Wilson has had some really good years there in Seattle that just kind of went under the radar last year before his entry. I mean, he was being talked about for a uh, as part of the MVP conversation. Yep. He was tremendous. At one point last year, he only had like two interceptions to like, 13 touchdowns or something like that. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. I'd have to go back and double check. Um, or, yeah. And so he's had some really good years. The injury kind of threw him off last year. The year before last year, he had a really good year. But, I mean, having that offensive line for him, it's going to be interesting because I definitely think that this is the best offensive line he's had um, in his career. And I don't think it's really particularly close, even though that there are concerns with the Broncos' offensive line. It's not every single spot like it was so consistently there in Seattle. Um, but that can really be a double-edged sword because it can make him be too uh, too comfortable. He could not be used to it and just, you know, run out before pressure gets there. Um, it, it's hard to say for him because we haven't seen him behind this line. Even though he's a veteran, it's still rough. And, yeah, Chase, two touchdowns – or ten touchdowns and one interception. Uh, thank you uh, for that. I knew it was a pretty good uh, touchdown ratio. Um, it's going to be interesting. And then you're adding in a new offense. You're, there's a lot to it. Um, a lot going on. I mean, it's not, it's reasonable to expect that this could be one of his best years of his career, but at the same time, there are plenty of reasons to kind of, um, not necessarily be pessimistic about it, but not think that it's going to be such a tremendous year. Um, that it's going to be that it, reasons why to kind of be hesitant, um, with the kind of season that he can have. Well, and I, I want to piggyback off of this just a little bit because it dovetails nicely into something that we we heard from um, Tim Patrick the other day when he did his press conference. This this offense is something completely new from the sound of it. It's something we've never seen before. Like this is Nathaniel Hackett's offense combined with Russell Wilson's offense. So it might take some time for everything to kind of gel together and and get everybody on the same page. And that, like that, that's obvious. Like, it's the first season, new quarterback, new weaponry, new new head coach, new system. It's going to take just a little bit of time. So it might get off to a little bit of a slow start. I don't necessarily have any fear that it's going to be like terrible to look at, but I do understand that there's going to be some issues with that as far as the timing is concerned, as far as getting guys on the same page together at the same time, especially with a guy of the caliber of Russell Wilson, who might see some things a little bit differently than these younger receivers that the Broncos have like Cortland Sutton. Yeah. He's been in the league for three seasons, but he's got a quarterback now that has been in the, in the, the league for 10 seasons and has been playing at the highest level that we've seen since 2012 when he was drafted you know like there's a long ways to go for everybody to get involved into this offense and actually get used to having somebody that can really dictate what's going on at the line of scrimmage and and coordinate everything from under center to make it work like there's going to be some communication stuff however that being said, I do think that with the weaponry that that Russell Wilson has with the guys the the talent that he does have surrounding him 
it's going to be some, there's going to be some fireworks. It might take five or six weeks to really get going similar to what Peyton Manning did back in 2012, when he came in, over to the Denver Broncos with DT and Eric Decker and then Wes Welker after that, like there's, there was a little bit of a hiccup there. The, the Broncos started off two and three, uh, early off in the season, then had that big comeback game against San, uh, San Diego uh, with Brandon Soakley catching that touchdown pass in the back of the end zone to, to take the lead. Like I, I could foresee something like that happening. I, I, I don't want to like push like bad things happening here, but I don't also want to be like overly optimistic that it's going to right off the bat, we're going to have high flying fireworks. So there's, there's definitely something to be said where you, you just don't know at this point. And, and that's very obvious. It's only June. And sorry for yeah. yeah, and I, I think that one thing that is fortunate for Denver is that while they work out the kinks and everything with the offense as they're putting it together with the new coaching staff, the new quarterback, the schedule to start the season isn't super difficult. Right. And I, th- I think that's a, a big help for them, that those are games that even if things aren't clicking extremely well, that they can sit there and still go out and, you know, win those games. Um, Seattle, their quarterback position, I mean, a lot leans on that. And they have so many issues with the defense, their offensive line. There's a lot of things there that outside of the quarterback position for Denver and the offense that Denver can easily take advantage of. Houston Texans, similar story. San Francisco 49ers really depends. Is Trey Lance starting by this point? Is it Jimmy G? I mean, that defense, though, can be kind of uh, can be concerning. Then right. you get the Raiders. So you have you really have that two-week buffering, so to speak, before they really get it. And I don't think that means Seattle wins the opener. I mean, looking at that roster overall, it is really a roster that is just void of talent, especially where it matters most. Well, I I think that you're absolutely right, first off. But I I also find it kind of ironic that uh, after they get rid of Russell Wilson, they make the most concerted effort to improve the offensive line that we've seen of a team over the last, like, 10 seasons. I mean, they went and got Charles Cross. uh, They went and got Abraham Lucas to be their bookend tackles. uh, And both of those guys can pass protect, which is the biggest issue that Seattle has had for a long time. Uh, also taking taking the football out. Like, there's still some concern there. They're they're rookies. Like, these are rookies coming in. But the thing is, is that Pete Carroll's offense is very run-oriented, yeah. and that is where the concern is with Cross and Lucas. <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, I'm I'm right there with you. It's like, like they did a good job of going out and getting some better protection for for Drew Locke and Geno with, Smith, and we'll see how that actually pans out. But at least they did something to, to protect the passer, which is something we haven't seen in Seattle in eight years. But there's the irony of that is that they no longer have the quarterback that they really have to, you know, invest in to protect, who is that franchise guy. Now they have quarterbacks that, hey, we should really lean on running the ball. Let's go get pass protectors now. That's all. That's the best idea ever. Like, it was just a very questionable way of going about business there in Seattle. I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, Travis Weber jumping in here. We'll segue off of this. Uh, Good evening, Lance, Eric, and Broncos country. Again, congratulations, Lance. I hope it was a great wedding. It was, and thank you, Travis. We we appreciate your support. And uh, Samantha and I say thank you for uh, for the congratulations. Our our family was was very pleased with how everything turned out. Um, It was it was a great time. Um, So. Outside of that, let's let's pivot off of the quarterback conversation here. Um, obviously, the running back uh, conversation with Denver. Obviously, Javante Williams is probably going to see the, the the main load of the carries, or at least that's the way I, I picture it going to be. But they did bring back 
Melvin Gordon on a, on a cheap deal, which I was very happy with. They still have Mike Boone coming back off the injury. Demaria Crockett still on the practice squad. Like this, this running back committee is actually very talented. Like the, the, I, I like the, the multiple directions that you can go with. And Javante Williams in year two, man, after he showed this last season, if he takes another step forward, are we talking about the Broncos having a, a guy that could potentially be a top, five-ish running back in the league. I mean, the guy breaks tackles. He makes big plays. He does a good job in the passing game. Like, is it far-fetched to say that Javante Williams could be one of the best running backs in the NFL this season with Russell Wilson handing him the football? I mean, it's entirely possible. Um, I mean, I think there are valid concerns about Javante Williams in the running scheme that the Broncos are implementing it's one that you really have to see the field cut and go as basically the way Nathaniel Hackett put it and it might've been Williams. Anyways, it's the way somebody put it. And I mean, Pookie's ability to read the field last year, his vision was uh, um, questionable to, to at, at the very least. Can, can I interject here really quickly? I, I, I don't disagree with you. The vision is a problem. I think the decision-making, the like, I think he saw it well, but he was just a half a step late or like even one full step late in making that decision to get downhill. Does that make sense to you? It, it does. I just, I just don't agree with it being the decision-making. Okay. He, was, he was always pretty quick with, with his decision. It just wasn't the right way or the okay. right area that he was attacking. Um, he did great. He did great breaking a lot of tackles, which is great. But I mean, sometimes it's because he ran into the defense. He he yeah. ran into the teeth of them. I mean, the I believe it was the one big run against the Ravens. I might be mistaken on this. I mean, yeah. mm -hmm. good thing he broke that tackle because he ran right into two two defenders. Um, and it, it wasn't an issue in the offensive line. I mean, the the offensive line did well. It's just there was a defender there and there was an open lane and he just didn't hit it. Um, so it's it's a con a concern. And then bringing Melvin Gordon back, maybe they decide that they want to continue with this. It's basically evil, even split that they had last year. I mean, they both had right. what 203 rushing attempts last year, right? Um, so maybe they decide to go with that. So it, it's in the world of the unknown right now because we don't really know how Nathaniel Hackett wants to use them. And that's that's a fair point, and I'm I'm right there with you on that because if you're going to give Javante Williams the bulkhead of the carries and he's going to be that featured guy, there there was another statistic about Javante Williams, despite him having those big explosive plays, those big plays where he broke a whole lot of tackles and was just amazing, he led the league in in runs that were stopped for zero or one yard, like. That like there's there's an issue there. He gets stuffed a lot at the line of scrimmage, which is something I pointed out with him coming out at North Carolina. Yeah, he's physical. Yeah, he does a really good job. But I mean, I like the vision. I like the patience a little bit. I just I think that he missed a lot from just being indecisive on what he wanted to do. So that's where I was coming from with that. Yeah. Uh, but still, at the same time, th there's a concern there. There, there. there definitely is. I want to cover this equally and fairly. So that that I'll just kind of leave it at that there as we uh, jump over here to Andrew Baker. Which side of the ball should they play more aggressive with? I... <laughs> I want to say the offense, but I really I, I'm I'm going to say the defensive side of the football. I I think that if if you're going to have an offense where you know that you're going to get some um you, like you you got a quarterback that can distribute the football, you got a, a good running game with a couple of really good running backs. I think you need to be more aggressive defensively this season. You need to really try to get after the quarterback, really try to figure out your, your run defense because last year Denver's run defense wasn't very good. They were also at the bottom of the league in terms of total pressures and sacks as well. 
you have to get more aggressive defensively. And when you have the ability to play with a lead, which is something this team hasn't been able to do since 2015, like there's, there's definitely something to be said about getting more aggressive, taking an opportunity to get after the quarterback and turning the football over, getting it back to your offense and just let them go back to work. I, I, I do think it may take a couple of weeks to get everything on the same page, but this offense is going to really take off. I do believe that. I'm going to take the cop out ounce here and they should be balanced on both sides in terms of their aggressiveness. That's fair. Um, and simply because I mean, you want to be, you, you want to take your calculated risks. Mm-hmm. You don't want to just be super aggressive and take those risks because that can tend to bite you in the butt. Um, you want to be calculated with it. You want to set it up. You want to just play it smartly. So I don't think they should be more aggressive on one side of the ball or other. They should just be calculated and balanced. I'm with you on that. Um, I just, I just want to see a little bit more aggressiveness from the front seven this year. And th- th- you and I, oh, we'll, see, we'll, see, we'll see that. Uh, I, I mean, everyone has already spoken on that. Is that we're going to see more aggressiveness up front because if you can't get pressures naturally, then you gotta, you gotta get it. You, you gotta simulate it. You gotta get the that simulated pressure, which is becoming one of the trends in the NFL. Right. And that was something that you and I went back and forth on several times over the the duration of the Vic Fangio era. I, I mean, you and I got into. I, I won't say screaming matches because it wasn't really screaming matches, but back and forth in our in our group chat with with Nick, Eric, and uh, or Nick and uh, Carl and uh, James, but like we went back and forth on that. Like I want to see more manufactured pressure. Like and you're like, oh, they're doing twists and stunts. They're, they're descending some de- delayed blitzes. It wasn't frequent enough. Like they were doing a lot of those cool things and stuff like that. But Vic Fangio really relies on his coverage team. And if your coverage scheme is good, your 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 pressure packages should be able to get home. I want to see it the opposite. Get some pressure first. Allow your coverage scheme to kind of do what it needs to, and get the quarterback to make some mistakes. Because if you got a guy, if you're not getting pressure up front, you got a guy. Let's just say, for example, Tom Brady or a Derek Carr, who really had Vic Fangio's number over the the course of his tenure here in Denver. Like he was very good at dissecting what was going on in front of him, pinpointing and attacking the weaknesses in the coverage because there was no pressure coming up front. So that's what I want to see more pressure from the front side, from the front seven. And let's see what happens in the backside because I really like the additions. I mean, you got Kwan Williams coming in here, Caden Stearns, hopefully taking that next step forward. Justin Simmons, obviously being that, that great safety. We know Pastor Tan taking another step forward in year two, Ronald Darby, who's been a solid player. Like you've got some players in the secondary that can hold their own. Let's go get after the quarterback and see if we can't take some footballs away. Yeah. I mean, I definitely get where you're coming from. I think that it's not a, uh, it's a far more nuanced conversation than that. Right. Um, Cause you can't just, you know, blitz consistently every single time you got to be able to confuse the quarterback. Right. Which uh, I mean, and, and blitzing's, you know, it's a well-known double-edged sword and Denver didn't necessarily have the strength and coverage to get to, you know, send extra blitzers, but they also didn't have the pressure up front to help out the coverage unit. So that's where that double-edged sword was. Neither side did, well enough. I mean, yeah, Patrick Satan was great. Uh, Justin Simmons had a good time. But, I mean, the nickel cornerback situation, I mean, that was up and down there with Bryce Callahan missing some time, Ronald Darby missing some time, um, Kyle, For- Kyle Fuller playing so poorly. Um, so so it led to issues in that secondary to where you couldn't safely blitz because you're blitzing linebackers and your linebackers help that middle of the field coverage. And the, the, the short, shallow, short and shallow um, coverage areas that, the, that Vic Fangio loved to run. Uh, so they couldn't really afford to send extra blitzers, and when they did afford, to, could afford to send extra blitzers, extra blitzers, their pass rush was still 
not the most effective by season end. I know there at the beginning of the season it was really effective, but it dropped off significantly. Yep. Well, and your what... coverage wasn't able to hold up well enough because you just counter a blitz with a quicker passing game. And that's where Derek Carr really dissected the, the yep. Broncos defense. He's known for years, even in games that Denver has won, he's completely negated the Broncos pass rush by a quick passing game. Yep. Quick two-step drops, get the ball out in the perimeter and let your receiver make a play. Darren Waller being a mismatch, that was a huge part of it. Um, well, and Hunter... Bro, so so that's, where some, that's where simulated pressures come in because you're you're covering that absence with someone else in your coverage unit. And that was something that just... That was one area I think that Vic Fangio's defense was a little bit behind the times on. No, and I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And that was a, a big part of what I was trying to get at in our conversation was if you're not, if, if you're only going to rush four, you've got to try to simulate some kind of pressure. And yeah, he did twists and stunts like that all the time. But it, rarely ever did you see, like they bring five, but they'd never bring somebody late and like delay that blitz or whatever. Like this, and like you said, the simulated pressures is, is something that I'm conceding to you because I agree with you. You just do a, le- a little bit better of a job of uh, articulating it than I can right now. Um, regardless, it, like this defensive scheme, I think needs to be a lot more aggressive. And I'm going to stand firm on that one. We got a couple of questions here. Um, first things first, I want to grab this from Travis Weber and I'm going to plug. Uh, Thomas Hall has a new podcast, uh, Legends of Mile High. Uh, he says, Travis Weber says, did anybody catch the podcast this morning? I missed it. Guys, I cannot stress to you enough. Thomas does a really good job on this show. Legends of Mile High is a wonderful, wonderful spot. Uh, it's about a half hour long, half hour, 45 minutes. He had Carl Mecklenburg on Broncos, uh, former Broncos linebacker, defensive lineman, outside linebacker, cornerback, quarterback, running back, whatever the hell. I mean, he played 50 different positions for the Broncos. Uh, and he's a great public speaker. Uh, Thomas Hall and Carl did a great job. It was a wonderful interview. Make sure you guys go check that out. If you haven't seen it, go to uh, Mile High Huddle's YouTube page and please go check out that um, that that episode with Thomas Hall and Carl Mecklenburg because that is must listen, must listen stuff right there. Um, we got a question earlier saying what rookie could have the, the best and most impact early on. And Jeff noise come back here. And he says something that I kind of agree with. And I want to take another deep dive into him. I'm going to do a, a film impact, a film piece on him here. And probably over the weekend, uh, the Iowa state defensive lineman, uh, rookie fourth round pick, Enioma Owazarike could have an impact early on. Eric, I know this was a guy that you were like in love with. And we all know the reaction. If you haven't seen it, go check out the live draft coverage on day three. Eric gets giddy like a schoolgirl. It was awesome. But I want you to break this down. Enioma Owazarike and his impact on what this defense could look like. Getting that just right temperature or getting an energy efficient appliance. It's not only about making smart changes today. It's about creating brighter tomorrows with simple steps to save energy. Plus, you'll help protect the environment for years to come. A better world for you, your family, and your community. Get started with rebates and discover what energy-efficient choices can help you power what's next at AlliantEnergy.com rebates. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies push boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They push girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. 
Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Well, I mean, the easy the easy answer is just go watch out, watch Divality Drivers from last week or listen to it. Um, Luke and I spent a little bit of time talking about Uwazariki. We had a couple questions up on it. And when talking about the impact of a rookie, I mean, you have to really kind of determine what do you mean by impact? Do you mean statistical impact? Because then I doubt it's going to be a Wazarike. Statistical impact, you're probably going to be looking at Nick Benito. Um, overall impact with their ability to help out other players, then I think it would be a Wazarike if he's able to win a starting job on this on this defensive line. And he seems pretty poised to do that. I mean, he seems a natural fit there as your other four-eye technique opposite Draymond Jones with DJ Jones and or Draymond Jones with DJ Jones in the middle and um, filling that Ashawn Robinson role that the Los Angeles Rams played last year. Right. Um, and that way, I mean, he's not he's going to get some pressures. He might get a couple sacks, but he's really there to eat up a lot of space, um, occupy blockers, and allow those edge rushers to get after them. I just don't think he'll fill up a statute. I don't think he'll be a consistent box score producer, um, but he's going he's gonna to be pretty impactful for it. Um, Nick Benito... Nick Benito is a little bit rough. I think that he'll have the most statistical impact just because of what he is right now. But I think that he's just more so of a pass down specialist who can drop into coverage or get after the quarterback. And I think he's going to be limited to that role, especially with Baron Browning moving to that edge hybrid role with the, yeah. with some off ball there. Um, so I think that the role for Benito is going to be a little bit rough to not have him be the most impactful outside of the statistical aspect of it. Damari Mathis barring injuries, may not see the field a whole lot maybe about 30 to 40 percent of the time um and then uh greg dulcich i mean he could easily have a pretty big impact he's got to go out there and win that job um win the starting tight end job for that plenty of issues as a blocker some issues as a route runner there with him um something that luke and i talked about last week on Valley driver so again make sure you guys are checking that out get a coach's perspective on these players um but i mean if you want to say greg dulcich that i can see the argument there it just it really depends on how are you meaning with having that impact. And that's a good point because there's a lot of little things that go unnoticed when, when you watch football. I mean, obviously, there's being a scout and, and being an analyst, you, you don't see everything exactly the way it is all of the time unless you go back and watch it over and over and over again. Just because you have, you know – three catches for 35 yards and uh, and no touchdowns as the second tight end on the field, Dulcich, for example, uh, doesn't mean that you didn't have an impact because I do believe that Greg Dulcich is a better blocker than Albert Okawebenom. I think he's going to see the field a lot. Three catches for 35 yards, it doesn't sound like a, a, a big impact, but did he dig out to the second level, block out a linebacker, open up a hole for Javante Williams to, you know, make a, a long run? Did, did he... Um, make a good pick it lined up in the slot you know and spring jerry judy for a long catch like there's there's so many more ways to to address what impact you have on the field than just this the 
statistical outcome. And I, I agree with you on that one. I think Nick Medino is going to actually have a, a fairly defined role and it's going to be a limited role this year because the Broncos really need to figure out what's going on with Bradley Chubb. I mean, obviously you, you've got the the knee injury, you've got the bone spurs that he had to deal with with both ankles last season, uh, going into year five, playing on the fifth year option. This is like the make it or break it year for, for Bradley Chubb. Like you've got to find out if you're going to extend him, if you're going to uh, let him walk, if you're going to try to trade him at the deadline franchise tagging, like what is your plan with Javon with uh, um, I, I read Javante Williams, but I'm, I'm talking Bradley Chubb here, but uh, it, like with Bradley Chubb, if he gets back to his rookie year form where he has 12 and a half sacks, 29 pressures and, and is like an elite pass rusher, what do you do there? So you've got to play him. And with Randy Gregory coming off of the shoulder surgery, but they just paid him $70 million over the next five seasons, you've got to figure out what you have in Randy Gregory. Those guys have to be the focal point. With Baron Browning, you've got Malik Reed, who has a lot of experience. Nick Benito has his own issues in the running game. There's going to be a very defined but limited role for Nick Benito. And I think a lot of it is going to be on blitzing attacks, like in the dime packages, the sub packages, where you get him out there as a, a pass rush specialist only. And Eric, I agree with you. He may have three or four sacks this season, but it's not. I think they're going to be timely, but they're not going to be in impactful moments. I think one of the best ways to talk about the type of impact a player can have, the best example for that in, in recent Broncos history is um, Derek Wolf. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, he was a guy who didn't really he he got his stats, but he didn't wasn't tremendous, um, not tremendous production. But I mean, he was probably one of the more impactful defenders for the Broncos because of what he did. I mean, he was just so disciplined with his technique and his role that he just allowed and opened um, Von Miller to just do it, do his thing because Derek Wolf was right there to cover up for if Von Miller got overextended in his pass rush and it ended up being a um, delayed handoff or a quarterback run. Derek Wolf was there to help cover up for that mistake. Um, so that, that's why it matters. And then we got a question here about Javante Williams or Melvin Gordon starting who y'all prefer. Um, Javante Williams will be the starter. Melvin Gordon will be the backup this year. Question is, what's the what's the split? I think it'll be probably about 60-40. That's, that's where I was going to go with. Uh, that's from Bronco Gang, and thank you, Bronco Gang, for joining us. Um, got another question here from Gerald Gar- Garcia over on Facebook. Do you think K.J. Hamler will be 100% this year? From all accounts at the OTAs, and I don't know what they're, uh, what they're running. It's probably about 75% and whatnot. Um, KJ Hamler was a full participant in the OTAs and caught a long deep pass from Russell Wilson the other day where it sounded like KJ Hamler damn near laid out to make the catch. So a hundred percent, I think so. It's, it's impossible to say. I don't think it he'll is. be 100% right away because I mean, there's, there's time to get back into game shape and everything like that. And the three yeah. preseason games for, I mean, I don't think that's just enough time for Hamler to get back into game shape. And then, you know, the issues that he's had. I mean, are, are we going to see lingering issues, hamstring in his rookie season? We can't say for sure he's not going to get hurt again. I mean, all things provided, I think at some point this season, knock on wood, he doesn't get hurt again. He will be 100%, but I don't think it's going to be right away. I I don't think it's going to be right away, like at the very beginning of the season. But I do think you're going to see a full go KJ Hamler this year. Like that's that's definitely going to going to happen. I I hope it happens about week two or week three where you see hit four wides and KJ taking the top off of the defense. Um, but it is very difficult. 
because some news came out. KJ actually talked to the to the media a couple weeks ago, saying that it wasn't just the ACL tear. There was some other lateral ligaments that he had the, to get some work on, and also his hip popped out. So he had hip surgery and knee surgery at the same time. But to see him out there, not only at Russell Wilson's pa- passing camp out in San Diego a, a few weeks ago, but then to get out there in OTAs, see him running routes, see him catching footballs from Russell Wilson, uh, that, that's very encouraging to me. Let's just put it that way. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Chase with a good question here. Uh, does Denver get a compensatory pick if Chubb signs elsewhere, Eric? I don't believe so because it would be a declined option, and I'm just not sure how that works with rookie contracts. Um, I, wait, I, I thought he was on the fifth-year option this year. My Is my math or, wrong? I don't know. I can't remember with him. I can pull so it up 20, real quick. Yeah, 2018. Um, go, go ahead and, and – I. If he is on the fifth year option this year, then yeah, he's yeah, fifth year option was picked up last or picked up last year. I was thinking of um, of uh, yeah, no, no offense, yeah, he'll count, he'll count for a compensatory pick this year. No offense was the one that they're deciding on this year, and yeah, yeah, been a long week. We're having a big old break here. It's it's been a long week. All right, uh, let's go back to how this roster stacks up. Obviously, the offensive line is a, is a big question mark. Um, we know Garrett Bowles slated in the the left tackle spot. That's pretty much you write that in sharpie. No one's going to take over that spot. All four other positions though are definitely a question mark. We don't know exactly how it's going to line out. We Eric and I have talked about this at ad nauseum here on Dove Valley Deep Divers, but. The one thing that we can say about this Broncos team is there is actually a uh, a bunch of talent on this offensive line. There's a bunch of quality options, and that's what makes this conversation so fun because you've got Dalton Reisner, who hasn't played great over the last couple seasons, but I think this scheme is going to be okay w- with him. Uh, they bring in Tom Compton, who is a, a great fit for the scheme. Lloyd Cushenberry, who struggled, but they have Graham Glasgow that can battle with him behind him. Uh, Quinn Miner is probably going to be lined up at, at the right guard position, but you also have Billy Turner and Calvin Anderson. Like there's there's a lot of different ways that this entire offensive line can shake out. I went from left to right there, but shake it up. I mean, Billy Turner can start at left guard for all we know. Tom Compton to play the right tackle spot. Like uh, Graham Glasgow can play center. Quinn Miners might be in the, in the center discussion. Like there's a lot of different ways. How does this offensive line stack up? right now like is this am i crazy for thinking that this might be the best offensive line denver's had in the last five years oh denver's had in the last five years um yeah i mean it probably is um and that's with, I, with all the that's with all the shuffling too i mean you, you, we don't yeah. know what their starting five is going to look like yeah I, I think that i think that it's the best offensive line in the last five years for denver but, I mean, the question is, when we look at the rest of the teams in the AFC West, how does it stack up to them? Mm-hmm. And the, the difficult part of this, I mean, the Chiefs by far and away have the best offensive line in the AFC West. I don't disagree uh, with that. Like, I, I don't I don't think that's debatable. Orlando Brown's good. Joe Thune's great. Creed Humphrey's great. Trey Smith's great. Andrew Wiley was able to hold down the fort. Um, I mean, it's just, a, it's just a really good offensive line there. The Raiders and the Chargers, though, this is where things get difficult. Where do you, where would you, where do you put Denver in amongst them? I think that Denver honestly is probably the third, but I could easily see the argument for being the second best or the worst. Like it's just those three offensive lines are all pretty close together in my opinion. Right. Well, and, and the, the chiefs added Darian Kennard to play the right tackle spot. They have Lucas Niang in in the folder as well. Like, like it, 
they, they still have some quality competition there. Lucas Niang was was tremendous back at TCU. He had the knee issues, but if he can come back healthy, I mean, that's a quality right tackle option for you there. Uh, the the Raiders, they have Alex Leatherwood, who's probably going to play inside at the, at the guard position. Um, they just drafted Dylan Parham to, to play the center position for him. Um, I can't remember who they brought in for the right tackle position. It's going to be a battle over there. Dylan, but, Parham, I mean, Dylan Parham's competing for a right guard. For right guard, okay. I thought they were going to move him into the center spot there. It, regardless, um, like it, that's the big question there is is the right tackle. I mean, Colton Miller has been playing at a pretty high level over the last couple of seasons. They still have Richie Incognito there as well. Like there, there's some there's some talent on that Raiders offensive line. Quite honestly, to me, I think it's between the Broncos and the Chargers as as who's going to be three and four. Like I, I really do believe that because the Chargers they they got Rashawn Slater they. Um, they they added in Jamari Sawyer. They they brought in a uh, Storm Norton. We've already talked about him. Uh, they bring in Zion Johnson. Um, I can't remember who their center is. Let me pull that up really fast. Uh, Corey Lindsley. Oh, Corey Lindsley, who's who's a very good player at the center position if he can stay healthy. Like they've got some they've got some pieces to work around with. We just don't know exactly how that's going to shake out. So three, four, and five or uh, two, three, and four. Excuse me. Uh, between the Raiders, Chargers, and Broncos, like you could really line up any of them. I think the Broncos are probably third, but uh, uh, behind the Raiders and then the Chargers take up fourth, but you can make an argument and dissuade me off of that, uh, off of that stance for sure. Well, I mean, this is the argument I have is I don't necessarily disagree with you. The issue is, is that now the Raiders are talking Alex, whether Leatherwood's going to be the right tackle, Dylan Barham, their right guard. Okay. Their center is Andre James. who He's fine. Yeah. He's nothing special. And then Jermaine uh, Luminaire um, at left guard, who's just meh. So it's just, if you're moving these around, Alex Elwood didn't have the best year last year at right guard. They want to move him out to to right tackle. Like, how's that going to work out for him? They have just as many questions as Denver does, which is why I could easily have the argument that Denver should be above them. I mean, at least we know Quinn Miners, he'll be starting most likely at right guard, maybe center. And he was better than their right guard or center last year by far. Um, Colton Miller and Garrett Bowles are quite similar. I'd trust Billy Turner or Tom Compton over Brandon Parker or Alex Leatherwood at right tackle. At left guard, I mean, Dalton Reisner, I think it's he's right there with, maybe if not a little bit better than um, the Raiders left guard. I mean, so it's you definitely can have that conversation. I, I mean, you can have the conversation with the Chargers being up there. Because the Chargers, Rashawn Slater, I mean, he's probably the best left tackle in the division. Orlando Orlando Brown is good, but Rashawn Slater was great. Corey Lindsley is probably the second best center in the division behind Creed Humphrey. Um, Matt Filer, he's a very fine left guard. Zion Johnson, I mean, he was a top-rated right guard. Storm Norton is the biggest question mark on that offensive line at right tackle. And what are they going to do there? So, I'd honestly, I'd probably say they probably put it Chiefs, Chargers, Denver, Raiders. Actually, I, I, I'm. I wouldn't disagree with that. I just I, I'm not sure with the with the. Uh, well, I guess I'm not sure with the, with all three of them to tell you the truth. Just, but, we don't. I, think the, I mean, it, it, you make a lot of sense. You you definitely do make a lot of sense the way you break it down. Like I, I I'm not going to disagree but, with you, but I am going to disagree with you. Like I, I I think the Raiders have a little bit more upside with what they have there. Um, and I think the Broncos have a lot of upside as well. We, we don't know so much about the, the Chargers. And that right tackle spot with Storm Norton was – he was rough last year. He was arguably the worst right tackle in football last year. 
Like there's, there's a long ways to go there. And if that's the guy you're going to try it out there, I can see why that would be a huge issue. But, now you've also got the rookie right guard to go on with it as well. So there there's issues there on the right side. Well, I mean, Zion Johnson, I mean, he's just a plug and play guy and that's just right. my evaluation of him coming out of college. But I mean, the fact that we could sit here, I mean, this is a conversation and this is a debate to have because all three of those units are quite close together. And they that's are. the main point of what I was trying to get down is it's yep. hard to organize them because they're all quite similar. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we've got only a few minutes left here. I want to answer a couple more questions. Maybe we'll get into the defensive side of the football next week. Um, I, I do want to get into the uh, the wide receivers if we do have a chance here. Um Let's see here. Uh, there was one that I really wanted to grab. Uh, Michael Ronquillo saying that Jonas Griffith, Jonas Griffith and uh, Josie Jewell had their presser today. They did. And Jonas Griffith actually dropped a pretty high quality comment saying that he is trying to compete for a starting job, which everybody's competing for a starting job. But it sounds like he's in the running for definitely being uh, one of the guys oh. there. Um, didn't go ahead. Eric. Didn't I say on here at one point, maybe during the draft, can't remember exactly when, but didn't I say that and making naming Josie Jewell the starter right away? may not be the way to go because Jonas Griffith is very much in the running there. I was right there with you saying that, by the way, there was a lot of conversation about the linebacker position and how the Broncos definitely needed to go and get Chad Muma or a Troy Anderson. And we were, we were there with you. I mean, obviously go upgrade the room, but they brought in Alex Singletary. They brought back Josie Jewell. They have Baron Brown. who can play off ball. Jonas Griffith was the guy like, Hey, Watch out for him. He played so well down the stretch. I was right there with you on that. that, that so don't make it seem like I was in disagreement. Now, some of the people that we talk to every now and again are definitely in disagreement with that. But I digress. Um, let's see. I, someone was talking about uh, Gerald Garcia. Here it is. This is fine. Maybe get into this really fast. Uh, do we have the best corners in the NFL, Eric? No. No. I was going to say no. Uh, do we have – have- is our corner room, is our starting corners in the top 10 in the NFL? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is the best? No, not not even really close, unfortunately. Patrick Sertan, I mean, he's great. Ronald Darby, how long can you bet on him for? Quan Williams, again, how long can you bet on him for? I mean, he hasn't played had a full season in his career. Ronald Darby's had one in his career. Injuries are important at the corner position. And right now, Denver's just aren't reliable to stay on the field. I think the one thing that I want to say about the corner room before we get out of here really fast, I think that there's a lot of high upside because you got uh, obviously um, Pat Sertan, who played absolutely tremendously last season, showed himself to be a, a top five potential player. Like he's got another year to prove it yet. But Ronald Darby does a good job driving on the football. He gets his hands on a lot of footballs, even though he tries to catch the football like uh, he's has frying pans for hands. Like it, it's terrible. But he, he does a really good job in coverage. Kwan Williams takes a lot of a lot of chances. Michael Ojemudia drives on the football really well. And then you've got uh, Damari Mathis, who the Broncos drafted in the fourth round, who got his hands on a lot of footballs. He was like top four, I think, in college football last season in interceptions. Like the the, the guy is a tremendous like ball hawking player at the cornerback position that I think is going to be the the biggest change where you're going to see some guys being able to take some chances on some footballs. And the Broncos have some guys that actually have the ability to do that this season. Not that they didn't last year with Bryce Callahan, uh, even though he was hurt the entire year, uh, Ronald Darby doing the same thing. Um, but a uh, saying Bassey was, was, was bad a couple of years ago. They, they finally got these guys that can come in and make some plays on the football. And that's going to be the the biggest change here. 
Um, let's see here. Uh, Carl Mecklenburg seemed very impressed by Josie Jewell this morning. I, yes, he did. Yes, he did. I, I need to go back and watch it again. I was listening to it at work, so there was some stuff that I missed. However, just what Carl was saying about this defense, I was um, I was very impressed with the way that Tom handled himself. So make sure you guys go check that out. Uh, uh, Legends of Mile High on the Mile High Huddle YouTube page. Um, it's great stuff. Absolutely great stuff. Guys, uh, Mile High Huddle's YouTube page, you've got obviously Dove Valley Deep Divers, Building the Broncos, um, uh, Mile High Insiders, the Huddle Up podcast, uh, including some other video content and stuff like that. Make sure you guys go and check that stuff out. Eric, are you seeing anything you want to address here? Because I think next week we'll do kind of the same thing um, and maybe take a look at the defensive side of the football. We focus mostly on the offense today. We'll do, I think we'll just kind of tease this uh, right now. Next week we'll break down the the uh, defensive side of the football, how it stacks up in the AFC West. Eric, you got something that you want to address here before we get out of here or are you be good to go? No, we did get some uh, re- uh, updated numbers about the Broncos salary cap situation and everybody. And okay. it's nice to see the Broncos are literally $82 under from having 12.6 million in salary cap room nice that's that's it's actually, nice to have it's it's, yep. it's it's a good thing like yes and a lot of that i think that what the broncos can do with that is depending on what the tight end market looks like you can go and add another person to that room uh, obviously it gives you some injury flexibility that you can head into the season with if you want to make a trade to improve the roster depending on where you're at at the trade deadline if you're if you're competitive you need that just that one extra piece that one extra cornerback that one extra tight end that maybe that you need another offensive lineman to come in and fill out some depth because you got some injury concerns there like having 12.6 million dollars in cap space going into training camp that's a very big a uh, very big piece and a great job there by George Payton I I, I well, really like to hear that not even that. I mean, even if they don't get anybody, that's almost $12.6 million extra they can roll over next year when yep. they have to go give Russell Wilson a big contract. Yep. And rumors say that he wants five years, $250 million. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah, Zach, Zach Kelberman actually dropped that article, I believe, earlier today on milehighhuddle.com, so check that out. Uh, five years, $250 million. It's $50 million a season, guys. Um, and it's probably going to be mostly fully guaranteed. I, I I just need I just need fifty thousand dollars. That's all I need. Yeah, I mean it, they, they can throw me a hundred grand and I'd be fine. Uh, I'll so, let, Eric, I'll, I need to contact Seattle and see if they'll if they'll pay me fifty thousand dollars to let Shelby Harris and Drew Locke punch me in the face. I would take I would take that. I would take <laughs> like if, if Eric if if Drew Locke wanted to punch me in the face for all the all the stuff I've said about him in my entire life. I, I would take fifty grand to do it. I, like, go ahead, give me your best shot. I'm fairly oh, I'm certain going to miss. I'm talking both of them, both oh, Shelby Harris and Drew Luck, and could even throw and can even throw in Noah Fant. You know, three players who I don't want to say hate my guts, but don't like me. So you you missed the joke. It hit me in the face if you dare. I'm fairly certain you're going to miss because you're so inaccurate. Oof. It. Oof. God dang it. Uh, all right, I'll guys. Just have, I'll just um, have three people standing next to me, and he'll just hit them instead. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Eric, I do want to get this question for you really fast. Um, we were talking about Russell Wilson's contract and, uh, when obviously the amount you and I've talked about this before behind the scenes, um, five years, $50 million. That's a lot of money. What would you say to, uh, a percentage of the salary cap? Like if, if the Broncos were to, to give him a percentage of the salary cap every single season, he's get his, his contract's going to escalate every single year because the salary cap goes up. What percentage would you be comfortable with giving Russell Wilson? I have a follow-up question on this after the fact. Um, I don't know. What do you think? 
I gotta think about this. So I gotta look at uh, numbers and look at some numbers. So let's go back to um, where are we at now? Two hundred eight is what the uh, um, the salary caps at. Correct? Am I wrong? Two hundred eight million. Um, so the the Browns, for instance, just gave Deshaun Watson a five year two fifty um, with with all that money fully guaranteed. Um, so fifty million. You're talking roughly twenty five percent, twenty two percent ish, somewhere around there. I, I feel like that would be a comfortable number for me. If you're, if you're, if Russell Wilson would be willing to accept 22% of the salary cap every single season, I think that I would be okay with that. Yeah. I think I, I think I'd go aim for somewhere between 22 and 27%. Just with like, the way NFL is going and everything. Yep. I think you'll have to, towards the last couple of years, you'll have to be a little bit higher in your percentage. Mm-hmm. I, I don't disagree with that, but I think that if you said, or, so go the, the Mahomes route, we're going to give you uh, uh, 10 years, $500 million, half a billion, half a, with a B billion. Uh, we're going to give you that kind of contract. That that money at the, at the tail end of that contract with not a lot of it guaranteed on the backside of that, it's going to, it's, it's, it is make believe. <laughs> but still, that's like, that's a lot of money. You're talking $50 million a season on an average, average value. Um, if that's what Russell Wilson's asking for is 50 million guaranteed on an, on an average per year basis, why not give him to that with a chance to escalate it every season? The cap goes up. You're, you're guaranteeing that for let's say four years. Like, and then you can reevaluate after that. So give him a four year contract guaranteed 25% of the salary cap. He makes a ton of money completely happy. It's all guaranteed. And then you can reevaluate it after year four. Would, would you be willing to do something like that? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's for the quarterback position. Like there's yeah. not much I wouldn't do to have your a franchise quarterback locked up. Yeah. So my follow-up question on you on this one is uh, when would you be willing to go into the, the, the negotiations for that? Obviously Russell Wilson has two years left on his contract. Um, and probably wants to have a new deal to make sure he's locked up and secured. That's the way he's operated in Seattle. His, his agent, Mark Rogers, is very aggressive in what he wants. He's very stubborn to deal with. Um, he's also a, a baseball agent. For anybody that didn't know that, he's a, he's a baseball player agent, which is why Russell Wilson got tied up with him was because he was his agent going into baseball. At least I understand it that way. Regardless, uh, the only NFL client Mark Rogers has is Russell Wilson. So... Mark Rogers can play this game the hard way and he can make it very difficult. When would you be willing to take a look at this contract and say, okay, we're going to extend you on this kind of a deal, whether, whether it's 50, 50 or five years for two fifty, um, fully guaranteed. We're going to give you this now. When do you start that conversation and, uh, how do you go about it? I would have started at the moment we traded for him. Me too. And Me I would have started now. I'd start it five minutes from now. I would have started it as soon as possible. Yep. I wouldn't expect Russell Wilson and his agent to agree, but you start that, you get that line of communication open and going and going back and forth as yep. soon as possible. Well, and for all we know, those conversations are probably going on behind the scenes. We haven't heard anything about that. And that might be something that, you know, um, maybe even Russell Wilson has said, Hey, I want, I want to do this. Let's, let's see. Uh, let, let's see what happens. There's also a, a cause for concern here, and, and I don't want to play the negative Nancy, but I'm going to. There's 
there's there's issues with Russell Wilson. You just don't know what you're going to get right now. He's 33 years old. He's got plenty of time left to play to play the game. You're obviously not going to hand him a 10 year deal because that just hampers your your future for if he does decide to retire at 38 years old. So you're looking like a five year deal. There's also the fact he's coming off of an injury. He's learning a new system. It's going to take him some time to get kind of acclimated into everything. How long are you willing to go with this? And why not wait just a little bit to see what player you're getting at this particular point in his in, in his in his playing career? So it's a it's a very difficult discussion. There's so many layers that go into it. I would hand him the boat. Like give him like if he wants my house, he can have it. Please take it. I, I don't need it anymore. I, I can live in my truck because at least it's it's a little bit cheaper to live there. But uh um like hand him everything right now, give him the bag and say, why not? Like, let, let's go all in on this now. But then if you go in on it now, what say he falls off a cliff and is not the player that he was five years ago. I, I can see both sides of this argument because multiple things can be true at the same time. And what if he goes out and has the best year of his career? It's that whole double, it's that double-edged sword thing with yep. any impending free agent. What yep. if they go out and have their best year of their career? Their price just skyrockets. But if you give them the contract early, they go out there and get hurt. Well, then what? I yep. mean, you, you can't you can't think about right. that. You just gotta right. look at the here now. And yep. real quick before we get out of here, I want to say to with this with Jeff Noyes, quarterback should have a 25 million cap allowance. Anything above that is outside the cap and after the lawyer. I couldn't disagree more. Pay quarterbacks all the money, it's the most important position in all sports. Yep, especially considering the fact that uh, Tyreek Hill just got what thirty million or something like and, that. Like, like it, I, I understand where you're coming from. There should be a, a cap allowance. I, I, I think I, I think he said twenty three, uh, twenty five million with an end there. I think he's talking twenty five percent. So twenty five percent cap allowance. No, it, because earlier he thought they that. need to get quarterback salaries back in line. So I think he means millions. And here's the issue with that: there's not even ten people on this planet that can play quarterback at an elite level at an elite level, not even 10, maybe five, maybe five. Thank you so much for actually saying that because I've said this multiple times. There's 32 quarter starting quarterback positions in the NFL. Maybe 12 of them are actually worthy of being starting quarterbacks. Like quite honestly, like that, like you're actually worthy of being paid at that level. 12 people in the world are actually good enough to play quarterback in the NFL at a high level. That's that you are absolutely correct. And Jeff does come back and says, I, I mean millions. And, and Jeff, I, I, I see where your line of thinking is coming from here. Like distribute the wealth and, and, you know, make it more of a, a, a share the profit share and stuff like that. These players agreed to that. And you, you got to understand here when they go into the, uh, I don't mean to go on a, a soapbox here. But when these uh, when these players agree to uh, the new collective bargaining agreement, you're talking about the, the top 1% of the top 1% of these players that are the Russell Wilsons, the Josh Allens, the Aaron Donalds, Von Millers, like all these top-end players. Yeah, they're like, we want to have maximize all of our money. But all the lower-end players are like, just give us some guaranteed money. We just want the guaranteed stuff. Hand that over to us because the 99% of the, of the of NFL rosters – are guys that make less than $4 million a season. like And far be it for me to say that that's not a lot of money. It is. But how many players right now on the Broncos roster, Eric, are below 750000 this season? How many of them are below 500000 this season because they don't qualify for that kind of money? Like, 
there's there's so much to be said for the bottom level of the uh, of these uh, uh, of the rosters. Yeah, they deserve a little bit more of a cut. But the elite level players, they're the draw. They're the guys that make the most money for the league. You don't know that saying Bass even exists on a roster. Like uh, Broncos fans know who he is, but tell me a New yeah, York fan that knows who he is. You're not going to see. Let's see here. You're not going to see Natani Moody or these, some of these other guys play. You're going to go see, go watch Russell Wilson, Cortland Sutton. You're w- going to watch those guys, and that's why they should get paid for. And Jeff Noy is the owner, can pay anything he wants to above that off the cap, then just do away with the cap. Like, if that's the way you want to go about it, do away about the cap. The cap is there to make sure that things, there is some parity and some fairness in the league. Mm-hmm. And if you're just capping what you pay at the quarterback, and then they can go pay with the quarterback all this extra off the cap, then you're kind of doing away with the whole point of the salary cap. Yep. But we got to get out of here, guys. We appreciate you watching. Lance, you can go ahead and run out the show. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys, everybody, for joining us. And sorry to come at you, Jeff. We we appreciate your insights and we appreciate your questions and stuff like that. So please keep coming back and we'll discuss this some more later down the future. But guys, we do have to get out of here. Make sure you guys are following us on Twitter by finding me at Sanderson MHH and for Eric at Eric Trickle. Also for Scott running the ones and twos behind the scenes at Scout Kennedy. Also, guys. At DVDD underscore pod. That's the podcast account where you're going to find out what we're talking about every single Friday. Um, Also, guys, at Mile High Huddle. That's some other account where you guys get breaking news and analysis regarding your Denver Broncos, including opinion articles, film breakdowns, deep dive analysis, anything regarding the Broncos, you're going to find it at Mile High Huddle. Um, Folks, if you are financially able to do so, please head on over huddleuppod.com. Lots of new merchandise just hit the just hit live on huddleuppod.com. There's teddy bears now. There's a multiple onesies for your babies. There's t-shirts, hats, coffee cups, anything to suit your fancy. Huddleuppod.com is a great way to show your support for the show. Um, Guys, if you're not financially able to do so on that, and even if you can't do super chats and stars donations, or maybe that's not your bag, you know, I mean, t- times are tight. We understand. We get it. Okay. We just love and appreciate you guys for coming in and joining and, and enjoying some time with us. So while you're at it, please subscribe, like, and share, subscribe wherever you guys are watching this, um, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, especially YouTube though. Those numbers are really, really helpful for us. Like every video you guys see across all social media platforms. And if you love it, share it, get it in front of as many Broncos fans as humanly possible, because without your guys' support, we couldn't do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos. Now with that, Eric, we got to get out of here. Um, it's been a great show. Any last words before we get out the way? Um, yeah, Peter says that there should be a minimum amount that's guaranteed, though. Players going on the roster for just a game or two, guaranteed amount for those players. Yeah, I think that the what the NFL needs to do and the NFLPA needs to fight for more in their next CBA is for those guys at the bottom of the depth chart. They've been trying to do that, and but just not, not in the right ways. They definitely need to do more to help the players. I don't think the answer is to lower at the top, I think it's raise the floor. I think that's yeah. the right answer. And outside of that, I mean, like, uh, just go enjoy your weekend, guys. Stay safe um, and tr- try to live life stress-free. I'm quite stressed out now. I mean, um, mentioned it beforehand about everything that's going on, having to replace an alternator, get down to Colorado um, for a uh, for a wedding next year. And then in two years from now, my wife and I, we're basically having what I'm referring to as a wedding redo. When we got married, we didn't get to have this big fancy wedding money was tight and everything, but now we're going to look at this bigger wedding, this nicer wedding 
And so we're starting planning for that and getting all the pricing. For it. So that's just adding extra stress to it. So try to stay as stress-free as you can, especially about money, but enjoy your weekend guys. And thank you for tuning in and we'll be back next week. Yeah. And I will, I will do my damnedest to be there. I know that you had some stuff coming up. So you couldn't be in mind, but I will do my damnedest to be there for you, sir. Anyways, guys, thank you all so much for joining us on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. You all stay safe, take care, have a great rest of your weekend. And as always go Broncos. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com.